Let's worship God. You know, again, I know maybe some of you tire of this, but God inhabits the praises of his people. God inhabits the praises of his people. And what that means is that the, the presence of God, the manifestation of God will vary from time to time and moment to moment. That even though God is omnipresent, he will infuse himself into one moment in your life or in a, in a room, in a situation, more than other moments. And as Christians, one of the things that we're trying to determine is what is it that causes God to manifest more now and less another time? What are the keys? What, I mean, if he says, listen, it's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom, if he longs to be with us, what are the things that draws his presence and makes it manifest in the midst of us? That's one of the things we're learning. That's what you need to learn for yourself as an individual because every breakthrough in your life, every spiritual resistance you're going to encounter, you're going to need the manifestation of God to break through. To break through. And when you're a young Christian, you depend on the prayers of others, you depend on the faith of others, you depend on the fellowship of others because they seem to have something that you don't. But you know what? God's intention is, listen, I can walk with you and I want to walk with you and I want to manifest my presence in your life. Would you be willing to learn? Would you be willing to learn how to manifest God so that unsaved people around you will hunger for what you have? So the unsaved people around you will begin to believe that what you have is real, not just a fantasy thought. Is God really that real in your life? This is where we learn it. By worshiping him because he inhabits the praises of his people. The beginning of the manifestation of God begins with the faith that says, God, you are great and greatly to be praised. Can you say amen? How many of you believe that God is great? Let's stand up together for a minute. Father, as we worship you today, we want to say that you are good. You are good. You are consummate love. Lord, the world is looking for love, but they're defining it as something outside of who you are. But you are love. You define love. You are the measure and the standard and the manifestation of true love. And so we want to know you today. We want to know your love. We want to know who you are. Oh, God, we bless you. I see this picture of a heart. And I feel like there's, there's a lot of us that we, we say, God, you can have my heart, but, but there's an area where we say, God, a dream has died, or we've given up on a dream, or, or what we thought God wanted for us, and our expectations were different from what he wanted for us, and so we let that part of our heart die. We've let that, we've forgotten about that part. And I feel like in this atmosphere, as we sing about the love of God, that, that he's breathing new life into those areas that he's releasing hope, he's releasing freedom, he's releasing dreams into those areas that we've long forgotten and we've long uh, given up on. 
So as we sing again about the love of Jesus, just allow your heart to be open. Allow uh, him to breathe new life into those areas that you've forgotten. How great is God's love. Greater. How great is God's mercy. Greater. How much greater. Greater than you can imagine. That means if you create the hugest expectation, if you allowed your imagination to run wild and go to ridiculous dimensions, that love is beyond that. More than you can possibly imagine. So we say, God, we want to know you. We want to know that love that passes understanding. That love that's beyond. There's a scripture that says, if God justifies, who is it that can condemn. That means if God's the one that's vindicating you, if his love says, I forgive you, I love you in spite of all your failures, what, what difference does it make that somebody, whether it's a person, a scenario, your own conscience, or Satan himself, who's accusing you to the just judge of all, if God's the one that's saying you are loved, what difference does it make what's wrong with you? What difference does it make that your accuser comes and lays grievances at your doorstep? What difference does it make? Are they true? Doesn't matter. Sure. Absolutely they're true. Doesn't matter. Because God loves me. God is for me. God is in the midst of changing me. God has a promise and a destiny for me. Can you say that? God, you chose us from before the foundations of the earth to be conformed to the image of your son. And we accept your verdict. We accept your love today. We accept the justification that says that you will not cast us away. Your love is perfect. I wonder if we could sing that first verse one more time and go into the chorus. There's, there's something so powerful coming through this song today. It's like God is whispering these very words himself and saying, listen, if only you knew. If only you knew just a fraction of this love. God, 
Lord, we want to say today that your love is greater. Father, I pray that you would give us a revelation of you, that you would open the eyes of our understanding that we could see just how truly great you are. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. You know, there's two aspects to this journey in the sense that we are moving ahead as individuals. And what God is doing in your own heart, he may not be doing exactly the same thing in the heart of the person next to you. But then at the same time, there's things that we're experiencing collectively. And one of the things we're looking for is an increased manifestation of God's presence here. The difficulty with that is in the contradiction that when you are seeking God and he begins to reveal himself, he is so amazing and his presence so invigorating that it's hard to be in the beauty of his presence and not begin to focus on the experience of his presence. Because as soon as you begin to, how many of you ever felt God's presence and, you know, you were worshiping and then you thought, this feels so great. Well, that's the shift. You were looking at him, now you're focused on you. Is that bad? Well, it's just reality. And so God says, how much of my presence can you, can you steward without be, being focused on you? Your capacity to do that is increasing and increasing, and increasing, and increasing. And the end of it is a manifestation of God that grabs a community or a city or a nation. Tyson had a dream here recently that he shared on our WhatsApp group, our church WhatsApp group, and it's uh, just powerful. I wish I had, could have a dream like this. Uh, Tyson, why don't you come and share it for us? I know some of you have read it, but I wanted, I wanted him to share it to stimulate your faith, stimulate your expectation, and to begin to hope about something that's beyond what we've seen thus far. Cool. Um, so for the past little bit, I've really been uh, meditating where uh, Jesus is talking to uh, the lady at the well, and one of the things she says is that God's looking for people that are going to worship him in spirit and in truth. And I was like, God, what does that look like? So I, I've just been praying about it and praying about it. And I never have dreams. Like, I, I could probably tell you, like, five times where I've re remembered dreams when I wake up in the morning. And I think it was Thursday or Friday. I can't remember when. But I kind of woke up about 7 in the morning. And then I was like, I just I want to go back to sleep. And normally I, I like to get up before the boys to read my Bible and kind of get my alone time when I have time off. But I just felt so tired. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to go back to sleep. And I fell into this amazing, amazing dream. 
So it was, it was a Sunday morning, and it, was, it just felt like any other Sunday morning. And then um, I just started to feel the presence of God and that he wanted to be praised and lifted high in his glory. And uh, so we just grabbed a couple purple flags. Um, uh, Mikey Lafort, myself, and uh, Jeremy grabbed purple flags. So Mikey and uh, Jeremy were at the front, and they were waving their flags. And I was in the middle, and I just we started waving our flags back and forth, and then the worship team started singing, "Crown Him with Many Crowns." And then it was it was insane. This it was like lightning started going through the air, and you could just feel this electric energy going through. You could like actually see it at the front, like this electric energy going. And then everybody started to moan and groan, and it, you could just feel this presence. And then all of a sudden, just right from the roof, this lightning came down and crashed right in the middle. And, and it, it just, it was so loud, and it was lightning. It was crazy. And so there was a little bit of snow for some reason on the, on the floor where the lightning had hit, and some of it had melted. So I, I came over to it, and I was on my knees. And uh, Pastor Lowe, I don't know if a lot of you know him, but he, he said, that's from the Lord. And so I was looking at it, and there was a little bit of water there. And um, uh, Darlene came over and said, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so I dipped my finger into the, the water, and I, I put it on my tongue. And then all of a sudden, everyone just fell on their face. And there was this this amazing presence. And I could feel it in my dream. Sorry. It's, it's unlike anything I've ever felt before in my life. And I know it wasn't physically there, but I've been asking God, what does it feel like to worship you in spirit and in truth? I feel like spiritually I was there and I was at this place that was just, it was incredible. It was amazing. I don't know how to get back there or what to do to get there, but man, it was amazing, and I woke up from that dream. <laughs> Victor came and whacked me in the head to wake me up, and, and even still after that, it was like that didn't matter. I could, when I woke up, I could feel this amazing presence, and oh man, I wish you guys could have felt it. It was just, it was the most invigorating, <laughs> most a microphone there. Um, it was just, it was amazing. It was the best thing I've ever experienced. And I just got up and I was like, God, how do I get back there? I don't want to ever leave your presence again. It was the most amazing thing ever. And I just, man, I just pray that one day that that physically happens here, that there's a manifestation where lightning is crashing and, and we're pulling from the throne room of God, that lightning and that thunder that crashes and the energy and the glory that's around him actually comes and manifests around us because, man, that little taste I had was, I would trade anything to have that dream again. It was just so good. So I don't know where to go from here, but God, I just cry out to you, Father. I want that. I want that every day. I want your presence so heavy on us, God, that I just can't contain myself except to lie on the floor in your presence and moan. Oh, God, would you come heavy on us? 
Teach us how to worship you in spirit and in truth, oh God. Because your presence is so amazing and we never want to leave it, God. We want to know your love and to know you, God. Faith is always pushing the boundaries. Because it knows implicitly how much there is held in reserve that we've not seen, that we've not touched. You think, well, well then why, why do we have so many struggles? Why doesn't God just do this? Why doesn't God prove himself to me in this way? Or in this way, or in this way. Because he's trying to bring you up to where he is. And the Bible says faith pleases God. Faith pleases God. And he's trying to train us, he's trying to bring us into something. And it's not him that keeps us back. It's us. There are things, unbelief, fear, selfishness. He is diminishing those things in order that we might experience more of him. He says, it's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So, Father, Thank you that you are patient with us. And even in our frustration, we say we believe sincerely. We believe it's you that's holding back, Lord. We know that you are perfect, and we are not. And so we trust the work that you're doing inside of us in this journey. And we just say today, I say today, we will not quit. We will not turn back. No matter what lies ahead, the knowledge of you is better than anything. You are the reward. You are exceeding in great reward, as Abraham said. And we want you. So, Father, thank you for this work you're doing in our space. Amen. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Thanks, worship team. We got a lot of uh, sick people today, and almost all the staff except for uh, Paul here are sick. And uh, Ken had a fever all night, but it broke at 1 a.m. or all last yesterday. Jesse's at home. He's sick. Chris is at home. He's sick. Um, and uh, But... They did a great job. Even Jen's voice is not completely up to snuff, but I thought she did pretty good. So, Paul, come. We're going to take our offering and make our quick announcements. Okay, so if you have an announcement, come to the front. Um. Actually, yeah, if you, if you, yeah, as you just said, everyone's sick except for me. Uh, 
if you're sick, stand up. Or if you are hurting, um, or you know of someone that's sick. And for those of you still sitting, let's stand with these people that are sick. God, I call supernatural healing right now. God, on bodies that are broken, on bodies uh, that are on the verge of fever or sickness, God, I, I command that it's broken right now. Uh, for Pastor Jesse and Pastor Chris at home and Pastor Ken and Pastor Mark, God, that whatever's trying to attack them would leave right now, God, um, that... Uh, our families that is at home, God, that, that those things will be broken right now in Jesus' name. And God, as we give, we pray an abundance on this church, on this family, on this community, God, um, that what we give would be returned a hundred times, a thousand times. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have an announcement. So, uh... This afternoon, uh, there's a bunch of us heading to Jubilee Park. If you want to come hang out, we're going to play some volleyball. Um, and it's nice outside. Uh, second announcement, June 16th is a Friday. That's going to be the youth uh, last year kickoff, end of the year party. Um, and I really need some help. Like, I want everybody there. So if you can help me, that would be awesome. We need, I'm like planning this massive game. And I really need a lot of help. So... Uh, if you can come help, talk to me, and it's going to be great. June 16th. I thought you were going to do this announcement, but I guess I get to. You two, stand up. We have a new friend. His name is Dwight, and he's a really good friend of Jesse. And yesterday, they got engaged. <laughs> Woohoo! We're so happy. Dwight, welcome to our little family here. What's hers is yours, so I guess here you are. Here we are. You got us, whether you like it or not. No, just kidding. You can be seated, but bless you guys. Bless you, bless you in this planning season and in this time. And uh, we look forward to getting to know you better for sure. And Matt and Carrie, are you? Oh, Carrie's here. I think I saw Matt earlier. But they're back. The Blacklocks are back, I think, for the summer, Yes. Yes, and they got to come back for uh, Abby's grad on Friday night, and so it's a, it's a great thing to have you guys back in the, in the house, so welcome home. And that's all I have to say. God, we pray a blessing on our father, Pastor Mark, um, that as he comes that you would strengthen his voice. Uh, and that you would flow through him, uh, through your power, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Yeah, you know, there are aspects of having a, you know, a cold or bad voice that you, you know, I, actually, part of my voice sounds better. It's deeper, very, very manual, okay. All right. I don't want his nose, but his voice is great. So, let me ask you a question here this morning. 
Um, what do these three people have in common? Katy Perry, Miley Cyrus, and Avril Lavigne. They all came from faith families, that's right. All of them grew up in church. Avril Lavigne, anybody know who that is? Yeah. Skater boy. Uh, Katy Perry, who is, is a current singer, and Miley Cyrus, who's, you know, fading, but still somewhat current. Not fading fast enough, perhaps. Yeah, think about that. Grew up in church. Avril Lavigne, in particular, I don't know what kinds of churches Katy Perry grew up in, you know, whether they're traditional or, you know, they're certainly moral, but, but I don't know what the level of their spiritual experience was, but certainly Avril Lavigne grew up in a church similar to this church uh, in Kingston, Ontario. Pastor is a friend of mine in Kim's. Uh, I guess uh, Kim and Lynn aren't, aren't here today. Kim, Kim still does not have a voice, by the way, four weeks now running. We're leaving Tuesday morning for Guatemala and, and for Europe right after that, but so he can't speak, which means I'll do more. I guess I'm okay with that. I don't mind speaking. But um, anyway, yeah, I grew up in this church, apostolic, prophetic, spiritual, I mean, great church in Kingston, Ontario. So what happens? How do you get that? How do you grow up in an environment and, and go so completely into the world? Well, because the environment that you're raised in is no guarantee that you're going to participate in that environment. Now, no matter how good, even if you've got good parents, good family, you still have to make decisions about what's true, about what's right. God still has to deal with you. And so, I mean, the truth is, he, he wants to reveal himself to you. He wants you to experience his presence. He wants you to come to a place of increased faith. But there's no guarantee. And you being around spiritual things does not guarantee that, that you will ever know God. Why? Because God and the knowledge of God is elusive, it's rare, and it's priceless. And Jesus said this to the, the apostles, he said, do not cast your pearl before swine. You know, he didn't itemize particularly who he was talking to, but, but he was, what was he saying? Do not cast your pearl before swine. He said, listen. The treasure of the knowledge of God and the gospel and everything that you're touching, you know what John talked about in 1 John, that, that which we have seen with our eyes, which we've handled concerning the word of life, that precious treasure that is there is a rare and priceless commodity. And in the same way, you would not, you know, lay your most priceless antique crystal or, you know, Royal Daltons in front of cows, or let the kids play with it with their army men. You, God's saying, listen, this treasure I give sparingly. The question is, well, on what basis do you give it then? What is the criteria 
for us coming into this. I mean, you say you want to give us the kingdom, and yet you withhold until a certain criteria is met. What is that criteria? How do we meet that criteria? Do, you know, is it, do we dance? Do we shout? If we go to church, you know, is there a threshold numerically? You know, on the hundredth time you go, then you graduate. You now are a sergeant in the kingdom. It was nothing like that. It's progression in the kingdom of God is the most invisible and elusive system there is. Why? Because it deals with intangibles. It deals with the hidden things of the heart. God is trying to do something in your heart. He's actually trying to convert your heart. He's trying to get you to the place where you fulfill the, even the Old Testament obligation, which is this. It says, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Simple. That's the criteria. You will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so I've seen people come to this uh, place in their life where they say, well, I, I sought God, and he didn't show up. Okay, well, now we have a conflict, because I need to decide, based on your testimony, who's the liar? Who's not telling the truth? Who can be trusted? Who can't be trusted here? Who is the one that I'm going to, you know, okay, you finite human being, not even aware of your heart, you've decided that you sought God with all your heart, and you're laying this charge at the footsteps of God and saying that God is wrong. I did everything that was necessary, and God never met me? Well, I would never actually say those words because, you know, that seems a little audacious, a little presumptuous, right? A little arrogant, you don't even know what you're talking about. What is we don't even know how to seek God with all our hearts. We don't even know. We don't know how to put our, our heart into anything, hardly. Now, some people do it better than others. And you know what I noticed in the kingdom of God? Those people that have a capacity to pour themselves out in anything. For example, you know, I watch people in sports, people who can pour themselves into sports, people who can pour themselves into artistic endeavors, people who can pour themselves into anything, anything fully are the ones that when they begin to, to come into faith, they get more than everybody else. Why? Because that capacity, that ability to do something with all their heart, they have in greater measure than others. And they get more. And then people who have been around a, long, a lot longer sit around and say, this is so unfair. I've been here longer. I've been a member of this church since 19... Whatever. I did the right things. I didn't sin. I grew up. I, I, I went to a Bible school, and I had a roommate. And uh, he grew up in church. He had, you know, never had sex. He'd never done anything, never drank, never did anything wrong. I mean, he was always trying to do the right things. And, and here we were in Bible college together. I'm his roommate. I am this sinner from hell, just saved, you know, six months. And I am having cataclysmic spiritual encounters with God one after another at Christ for the Nations in Dallas, Texas. And I, 
And, you know, and I, I don't even know, I don't even realize at this time that he's actually starting to resent me. But he's starting to resent me. And, you know, each testimony I come in with, he just seems to, you know, like, uh. Finally, one day, uh, he ends up having this experience with God. But the experience was God confronting him over his self-righteousness. Because what had happened is he had begun to believe that because of his church attendance and because of his good choices, that therefore he should be more highly favored than God, than I would be. And yet God was doing all these things for me and nothing for him. And he said he finally realized that everything, he, he, said, he said, the truth is I, did, I haven't sought God at all. And that's what he realized. So there is an invisible criteria that God is after in us. And he's trying to, trying to get you to seek with all your heart. Now, well, who of us could do that effectively? Probably none of us. So what he's devised is a secret training system to confront those parts of your heart that cannot rise up to seek him. Inherent problem number one, we don't know where they are. We don't even know that they exist. I wasn't even meaning to talk about all this. I got something else to say, but... I kind of feel like I'm into something here. Thanks, Shaylee. It's Shaylee's fault. She asked me a question and sort of all of a sudden. Hebrews 4.12 says this, says, The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That passage right there is a passage you should not only memorize, but you should understand because it defines what God is trying to do in your life. It defines what he's really after. He is trying to separate soul from spirit and reveal the actual intent of your heart. To answer the question, the elusive question, but I sought God and he never met me. And the answer will always come back, you only sought him this much, or this much, or this much, or this much, or this much. But the promise is, if you seek me with all your heart. And so there's an invitation to us. Listen, there's a way that I can unite your heart and seek me, so you can seek me with all your heart and find me. But it has to begin with a certain standard. And the standard is that I'm the righteous one and not you. I'm the one that knows and not you. I'm the one that's complete. You are incomplete. And if that shames you, if that makes you feel less, it should. Because you are less. I am less than him. Right? It, you know, every knee will bow. It's not his bow, knee bowing to me. It's my knee bowing to him. Yeah. So we are in this journey. And there are no guarantees that if we grow up in church, that even if we make the right moral decisions at different times of our life, that we're necessarily going to come into the heart of what this thing is. I don't know what kind of experience Perry, uh, Katy Perry had in the church. I don't know if she ever, ever really met God or felt the supernatural or thought this was real at all. Uh, 
I don't, I don't know whether any of them, Ever Levine or Miley Cyrus, have had any experience, but the opportunity is there. So this is what I wanted to kind of come to a little bit here today. How do we, as a community, as a faith community, create enough opportunity for us, our kids, new Christians, people at different levels of faith, how do we create an environment where they can come in, be trained, come to faith without getting frustrated and quitting this thing and deciding that the real problem is the guy sitting next to me or the color of the pews or the, the, the structure of the church or, you know, the, the amount I have to tithe. You know, if only it was 7%, then I would be okay. <laughs> Gordon Mitchell's got a great joke. He said, you know, he said, the Alliance Church down the road is running a special, three months, just 5%. Can you match that? <laughs> so, now, we are a church, if you've ever been here for any time, we are a prophetic apostolic church, and there's, there's things that we're going after. I want to talk about some of the things we're going after, but uh, in order to save Jeremy, uh, Jeremy, are you ready for this thing? Okay, can I, can I get, uh, never mind, I'll just grab myself, see that chiffon, can you put that on the black carpet right at the end, that yellow chiffon there, just pick it up, yeah, you. <laughs> Jeremy, come, come and see this purple flag. What's that? Okay, just, uh, actually, you might need your, your uh, can you do something without your daughter for, to start? I want, I want you to do something here. Oh, mom might have to come up before the meltdown. Okay, we're going to do this thing. You guys ready to watch this? Right here, Jeremy, Jeremy, Mr. Okay, you ready? Jeremy's going to run to that end. He's going to go around the yellow chiffon, and he's going to come back, and he's going to touch this one. And we're going to time him. You ready? Yeah. All right, go. Okay, only one counting. We're all supposed to be timing him. Yes, we all. Okay, well, there we go. Four point seven six is pretty good. Okay, we're gonna do it one more time. See what we get. You ready? Okay, go. You missed it. <laughs> All right, we'll just we'll we'll stop there. We'll say that 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 that's definitely faster. Okay, now I want you to do it again, but this time I want you to do it with your daughter, but not with not with you her her in your arms, but her running herself with you. Okay. All right, if, we might have to do this, Daddy and Mommy. Okay, you ready to time? Go. Amen. All right. 
Well done. What's, what's our time there? What's our time? 26 seconds. Wow, your child cost you over 20 seconds. Okay. Thank you. You may, uh, you know, if you need, yeah, whatever. Yep. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Now, the illustration there is pretty obvious, right? Uh, now, they as parents, they, they accommodated their child because clearly their child cannot run at the pace that they can. Is that compromise? I mean, could their child run any faster? All right. Now, there are things they could, they could have picked up the child, but even then, they're not going to run at the same pace. Right. What does that mean? It means this, that, that if we're going to go together as a family, there are certain restrictions. There are certain uh, inhibitors, things that will keep us from running at the same pace. Uh, years ago, when I was a young Christian and I went to churches, the culture of the church at that time was this. It, it was, we were breaking free from a lot of religiosity. We were breaking free from a lot of dead tradition. And, and you know, you sort of had to have this resolve, I'm going for it all. You know, so that was, the, that was my mantra as a young Christian in 1982. The problem is I didn't have a clue. You know, I didn't know what going for it all meant, and it was largely largely trying to meet certain ego needs in terms of me accomplishing or touching things so that I could look back and say to others who are not touching or accomplishing that, say, I'm better. I felt better. I felt superior. Uh, and did that mean that, that mean I wasn't experiencing more than others? No, in many cases, I was experiencing more than others. And in many cases, that was actually a reflection of a heart that was truly seeking God. But at the same time, there was all this other stuff. And, one, and all the other stuff was manifest in my unwillingness to compromise my pace for the sake of others. Does that make sense to you? You know... It, there's this, an old saying that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And God is saying to us here, he said, listen, as a church, we've gone far. We've touched things, but, and, you know, and, and that's great, and part of that fits into the kingdom of God, but unto what end? Unto, what is the actual desired goal of God? It is to make what? Disciples, disciples, disciples. So it's great if you're running fast and far, but if nobody else is coming behind you, what's the point? Let me read a couple of passages because uh, we've had these conversations here recently with uh, our staff. And I mean, uh, one of the things you, you realize if you've been here for, for a while is is we're down numerically from where we've been in the past. And I'm not really completely bothered by that because I look at Jesus' ministry and, and if you understand the way that God actually brings people to maturity, it's true in the natural and it is in the spiritual, is that when you're bringing a group of people to higher levels of things, there's always going to be attrition. There's always going to be those who, who can't make the cut. Okay, 
Now, if we were in a, 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 an individual world, that's the only thing that would matter would be as long as you cross the finish line. Except in this kingdom, God is saying, no, you need to bring others with you. You need to cross the finish line, but you need to bring others with you. So how do you do both of those things? How do you not just cross the finish line, but how do you cross the finish line and bring others with you? What is involved in that is going to be qualitatively different than what happens if you're just running by yourself, if the only measures of success are what you achieve, what you accomplish, what you touch. And so, uh, and it's far more complicated than I'm letting on, but um, let, me, uh, let me just read a couple of passages here. And... Uh, we got that video ready? Okay, good. We're not going to play it right now, but let me read a couple of passages here. The goal that God has for us is transformation and uh, uh, conformity to the image of Christ. Conformity to the image of Christ. What God is trying to do is to make you like his son. He's trying to, Paul said it this way, please the father to manifest his son in me. Now, that's a great, great thought, and for some people it's a little complex. Well, do I stop being me? You know, well, what about my identity? You know, well, I'm not even going to delve into that. Suffice to say that the word is true. God wants to manifest the nature of his son inside of you. So here's a scripture we read last week. It's Romans 8, 29. This is what it says. It says, for whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. But here's, here's, the, here's the first part that I really want to emphasize. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of of his son. God's objective is to make you like Jesus. Remember a prophet having a vision of heaven and all these men, different people, women, successful ministers were coming before God. Largely they were advertising what it was that they had done. Oh God, here's the things I've done and you know, I've done this and I won so many people to the Lord and had a healing ministry and I, you know, went to 40, 50, 100 countries and, you know, preached all over the globe. And, and, and the Lord said, yeah, never mind, never mind that. He said, just come closer. I want to see how much you resemble my son. I want to see how much you resemble my son. Now, as a young Christian, when I was really going hard for God, I, I thought the way I want to resemble God is in the signs and wonders category. That's the only thing that really matters. Healings, signs, and wonders. I want healings and signs and wonders. That's really what's going to set me apart from these other Joes. That's really, you know, the manifestation of the kingdom. That's the thing that I want to do. And so all of my study, all of my hopes, all my dreams were all around the cataclysmic revival and move of God where we'll be in meetings and there'll be resurrections. And, you know, and so I've lived on a diet of that all my life. And, and you know what? I, I still want that. But I've realized that one of the things that God is looking for first is conformity to the image of his son. 
And if there's a way to synthesize both of these things together, I want to say this, that if you are like Jesus, miracles, signs, and wonders will automatically follow. These signs will follow those that believe. They will speak with other tongues. They will da-da-da-da-da, Mark, you know, chapter 28 or wherever that is. And so the challenge is for us, how do we do that? How do we... How do we do that here? I mean, we have sort of, we have pursued the presence of God and, and, and we've gone after some things and, and that's great, but we're getting some attrition happening. You know, like that, uh, what was that show that was wa- watched here recently? That training show for the, no, 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 it was the military one. Selection. Anybody watch that show? That was so amazing. I love that show. I love, I, lo- I love these shows that actually show the training of, you know, special forces, Green Berets or, you know, Rangers or, you know, uh, Alpha, whatever, Delta, Delta Force, you know, these, these groups, these elite athletes, you know, and these warriors and their skills and their endurance and the things, the inhuman uh, tears that they touch in terms of abilities. I mean, it's amazing. But there is an attrition. They realize that, that some things some people don't touch. So in the kingdom of God, what if we can't all touch the same things? Then are we disqualified from everything because we can't touch the highest things? Or, or is there a people who will actually be able to go for the big things, go for the optimal manifestations of God, yet still have a mind to make a way for the young? who still have a heart for family, who don't consider the fact that, you know what, we're going to go at a slower pace right now, that that is not compromise. But it actually is a manifestation of the kingdom. Now, if God's not saying that, if God's saying, look, this is a time when you need to go hard after these things and, you know, just just go and perfect these. Press in, press in, press in, press in. And we've certainly seen those seasons. But it feels like, and recently I got a prophetic word from a person who came to me and said, I feel like the church is in this season. And what he began to describe to me is exactly the things we've been talking about for the last six months. That, you know, it's pointless to actually be touching high things if there isn't a people to train them to go into those things. I mean, you know, who cares if you've got the greatest prophetic worship ever if it doesn't affect anybody or cause them to grow and to develop. And so, you know, in the same way schools have kindergarten, grade one, grade two, grade three, grade four, grade five, grade six, grade seven, grade eight, grade nine, grade 10, then college, and then, you know, uh, master's programs and doctorals, and then da, 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 da. You know, what is it? It's, it's a tiered system of training. The kingdom of God has a tiered system of training, except it's just invisible. And the other part is we're in a one-room class. So as we're here gathering together, we've got kindergartens, we've got pre-kindergartens, you know, spiritually speaking, all the way up to university students. And we're in the same classroom, hearing the same sermons. And so what God is doing with some, he's doing something different when others. Uh, you know, which is better? There's no better. It's which one 
What is God speaking to you? Now, in the past, we've had a significant group of people in, in, a, in a level of spiritual growth where God was actually after some deep things in their heart. And so a lot of the tone of our training and our teaching was after that. And nothing wrong with that. That's great. But sometimes you, you can be thinking, oh, why is it so hard here all the time? Why is it always, you know, about, you know, purification and, and discipline and, you know, obedience? And what about God just loves me? Oh, don't worry. God loves you. See, we've got everybody. And I remember as a young Christian at Christ of Nations, Dallas, Texas, I mean, every second prophetic word was, I love you with an everlasting love. You know what? Every time I heard that, it was like, oh. It never got old until that wasn't what I needed anymore. Until I actually believed God's love and could be in that love all the time without somebody having to remind me. Then it began to be, yeah, 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 I know. Why? Not because it's not significant, but because I don't need that right now. I am, I am going, I need solid food. Mother's milk is great. Paladin is great. Let's have some meat. So your dietary spiritual needs change as you move along. How can we, how can we have the full gamut of supply for everybody at their different levels? That's what a body's for. Because when you go out for coffee with this one and you are, you are sharing your, your testimony, your experience, and your trials, that is as valid as the sermon that the pastor gives on Sunday because you're meeting the needs, the dietary, spiritual needs of that person. When you have a Bible study at your house and you're taking people into something around, you know, something about motherhood or the heart of the father or, 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 all of these things are excellent. Turn that phone off. That's a terrible ring. That'll wake you up in the morning. <laughs> it always does, eh? Yeah. I remember those days. So, well, what does this mean practically for us? We feel, as a leadership, that it, it, we're trying to create entry points for new believers. We're trying to create opportunities for you to bring the unsaved here where they can experience something of the presence of God, where they can experience something of this mystical life that you represent, but, you know, don't ever really fully draw back the curtain that can create an entry point for them spiritually. That's what we're longing to do. That's what we're looking to do. Now, we meet couple of times during the week. Wednesday night is specifically designed to be prayer and intercession. It's specifically designed as a time when you as a believer 
need to begin to walk out the faith that you have. And uh, I'm going to talk about this for a few minutes because I believe a lot of us are stuck right here at this point, and I'm going to play a little video. It's actually a secular professor from a college on a, you know, talk, you know, I don't know if it's some kind of uh, uh, panel or something, and he shares some things from a from a non-Christian standpoint, but the thing that he shares is exactly what God is trying to get those of us that have been around the church a little while. This is a critical threshold for your training, but it's one of the most uncomfortable thresholds that there is. And, and let me just quickly preface it by saying this. God has called you to speak. And a part of, when he says it's, I want you to be conformed to the image of my son. He wants you to operationally get to the place where you function like Jesus. And you know what that involves? That involves speaking. How many of you heard me ever tell you during worship to open your mouths here? The reason I do that is not for my comfort, but for yours. The reason I do that is for your progress, because there comes a point in time when you can no longer live, you, you have, you're gaining knowledge all the time, you're pulling things into your life, you're structuring your ideas about your faith and yourself, all in your mind, but the proving, the establishing of what you really are, who you really are, and what's really in your heart will only happen when you speak. How many of you heard this scripture? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, have you ever said something that, oh, that's terrible, I shouldn't have said that. I didn't mean to say that. It was because I was tired. It was because I was sick. It was because, uh, you know, uh, what other convenient excuses there? <laughs> had a hard week. My boss was mad at me. Uh, my wife is being difficult. No, no, no. The truth is, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Fatigue, sickness, other things just lower the thresholds that was in there spills out. What, what's the value of that? You get to see what you really think. You get to see who you really are right now. You know, in pristine atmospheres, it's great. You know, we can all dress up. We go to nice events. I mean, hey, how you doing? So good to see you. Bless you. Hey. <laughs> right? Well, that's who I really am. No, 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 no. The truth will set you free, and the truth at some point must involve you seeing what's in your heart. Hebrews 4.12. The word reveals the intent of the heart, what's really in there. It's, this, this idea of speaking is native to who God is. God spoke the word. Jesus is the word. He is God's spoken expression of himself in the earth. When Jesus came, he spoke, he preached. And when he spoke, all the power confrontations he had were around speaking. Why? Because the world that we live in, secular, spiritual, or otherwise, is all defined by those who speak. Those who speak. And the power of your words and the power that you manifest through the things that you speak are expressions of the kingdom and they help you see where you really are. So anyway, we're going to watch this because it's just a great little illustration. I'll tell you when to cut it off, and, and, um, and it, it applies to us. Hopefully you can see the wisdom of it. 
You're one speck of dust among seven billion. And when you conceptualize yourself that way, you might think, well, what difference does it make what I say or do? And that's actually quite convenient for you because if it doesn't matter what you say or do, then you don't have any responsibility and you can do whatever you want. The price you pay for that is a bit of nihilism, but if you don't have to shoulder any responsibility, that's a small price to pay. Another, that's the underground motivation for nihilism, but the other way of looking at it, and this is actually the accurate way of looking at it, is that you're in a network. You're a node in a network, and so you can do a little bit of arithmetic very rapidly and just figure out how powerful you are. You know a thousand people. You're going to know more than that over the course of your life, but let's say a thousand for the sake of argument for now. They know a thousand people. That means that you're one person away from a million people and two persons away from a billion people. And you're the center of that network. And now the way networks work is that information propagates in a network manner. So don't underestimate the power of your speech. Now, you know, Western culture is phallogocentric. Let's say, okay, so we'll say, yeah, that's just fine. That's exactly what it is. It's predicated on the idea of the logos, that the logos is the sacred element of Western culture. And what does that mean? It means that your capacity for speech is divine. It's the thing that generates order from chaos and then sometimes turns pathological order into chaos when it has to. Don't underestimate the power of truth. There's nothing more powerful. Now, in order to speak what you might regard as the truth, you have to let go of the outcome. You have to think, all right, I'm going to say what I think, stupid as I am, biased as I am, ignorant as I am. I'm going to state what I think as clearly as I can, and I'm going to live with the consequences, no matter what they are. Now, the reason you think that, that's an element of faith. The idea is that nothing brings a better world into being than the stated truth. Now, you might have to pay a price for that, but that's fine. You're going to pay a price for every bloody thing you do, and everything you don't do. You don't get to choose to not pay a price. You get to choose which poison you're going to take. That's it. So if you're going to stand up for something, stand up for your truth. It'll, it'll shape you because people will respond and object and tell you why you're a fool and a biased moron and why you're ignorant. And then if you listen to them, you'll be just that le much less like that the next time you say something. If you do that for five years, you'll be so damn tough and articulate and able to communicate and withstand pressure that you won't even recognize yourself. And then you'll be a force to contend with. And you don't get to wait until... Because I get letters like Gad Saad gets all the time, too, from faculty members in particular. And they say, well, you know, when I get tenure, it's like, then they think, well, when I'm an associate professor. And then they think, well, when I'm a full professor. It's like, if you're a professor already, you're like the most protected person in the history of the planet. You know, and, and you, you, you need, well, okay, but what, one of the things that that indicates is that it's almost impossible to provide people with enough protection so that they feel safe to speak. Okay, so we'll address that directly. It is not safe to speak, and it never will be. But the, uh, the thing you've got to keep in mind is that it's even less safe not to speak, right? It's a balance of risks. It's like you want to you pay the price for being who you are and stating your mode of being in the world, or do you want to pay the price for being a bloody serf, a one that's enslaved him or herself? Well, that's a major price, man. That thing unfolds over decades, and you'll just be a miserable worm at the end of about 20 years of that, right? No self-respect, no power, no ability to voice your opinions, nothing left but resentment because everyone's against you, because, of course, you've never st stood up for yourself. It's like, 
Say what you think carefully. Pay attention to your words. The price is, it's a price you want to pay if you are willing to believe that truth is the cornerstone of society. Okay, that's good. So I'd encourage you to watch the rest of it. That's pretty good, eh? Pretty good. It fits exactly in the process that God has for you to be trained. Because, and, and let, me, let me just say this. Your journey, many of our journeys, are halted because we refuse to speak. Because, And the reason we refuse to speak is because of the consequences. I don't want to sound stupid. I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to, people to dislike me. I don't want blah, 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 blah. And on the reasons go. But here's the thing is that when you speak, you find out who you are. You find out what you believe. You find out how much power you have. You find out whether you're living in a fantasy world or if you are living in truth. Because the nature of truth, and I'm glad he referenced it so much, is truth. The truth will set you free. And it may be that the truth that you think you have is not the truth, and how you view something is not correct. And what Jesus said, and I love this, what Jesus said to the Pharisees who were always prone to speak, and Jesus was speaking, but they wouldn't speak around him. They spoke everywhere except around Jesus. Why? He made them look like idiots. Because as long as we, I say this around people who already agree with my position, I am a genius. That's, what, that's how subcultures develop. Subcultures develop with somebody who's in the main culture, believes something the rest of the culture does not believe, but rather than confronting the main culture to find out, A, whether they believe it's true, or if it has power to change that culture, or to actually uh, change themselves, they quietly hold on to their beliefs, fighting in their mind against what everybody else is saying, and then finding people of like mind and just coming together and agreeing. And you can come to any conclusions there. And that's what we're seeing politically in our world. How does that change? We need people that speak. We need people who are trained. We need people who have ventured to say, no, this is what is true. Well, I believe certain things to be true, but I can't say that in this environment. Why not? Well, because they don't believe that to be true. doesn't matter. It, because the gospel being preached, for example, to the unsaved, it's not, it's, not, it's not moving on the plane of what's logic. It's actually you're trying to access people's hearts. So do you have enough truth in your speech to access somebody's heart? The only way you find out is you speak. And if you find out, well, I don't have the ability to influence people, then you start asking the question, why? And then you come back to church, and your pastor says, you know what? If you really want to become powerful in your speech, start by praising out loud. Start by speaking out loud. Start by prophesying to your world. Start by using your own lips. Well, you know, I feel foolish when I say that. Why? Because you don't actually believe it. You feel foolish because there's an internal contradiction. Because what you think you believe is not really what you believe. And you only find that out when you actually say it out. People resent it when I ask them, speak. But I'm telling you, I don't want anybody to spend 10 years here thinking they're advancing and believing something and developing and growing and then end up throwing it all away because all along they never really believed. Does that make sense? 
If you go back and you listen to this whole thing again, you'll see the same thing. He's articulating the very same thing that the Holy Spirit is asking of us today. Now, I, years ago, I remember I started saying this. I said, listen, I am saying this. I believe it to be true. If you believe something other than that, come and talk to me. And people took that as a threat. It wasn't a threat. A is if I'm actually wrong and you have a cogent argument and you have truth and you have scripture, bring it to me because either you will be changed or I will be changed. Jesus said to the Pharisees, which of you convinces me of truth? In other words, I'm presenting what I think and you guys won't say a word until you skittle back to your little dark corners and then you... You know why there's division in the church? Because that's how we do church. Well, that pastor said such and such, and you know, well, I believe. And it seems like wisdom so long as you're not speaking to people with actual wisdom. You want to find out, does my arguments, does my thoughts carry any weight? Can I change the world? If I can, then I'm going to do that. And it always starts with speaking. So, I've said a lot of things today. I'm going to try and wrap this up. but because I, I see I've already lost Amanda, so. Just kidding. <laughs> she's listening. <laughs> I'm just picking on her because she's my neighbor. Uh, we're on a journey collectively. And God is trying to bring us to a place of faith. And the proof of faith is influence, it's freedom, it's life. It's the capacity to speak, to live in the truth. And we're coming into that incrementally. How do we provide a safe place? And not safe in the, you know, college liberal mindset way. <laughs> but a safe place where, you know what? You, I will still love you after you've spoken even if you speak poorly. That's what family does. Beautiful thing about family, you come home to the supper table and you spout whatever gibberish you, you want. Things that fly with your friends and like all your, the rest of your family laughs at you. <laughs> right? Because it's not convincing. You know, that's not reality. That, 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 that'll work in your little subculture of grade seveners. But it's not true. And everybody else at the table knows it. And, and people, that's where people, that's where the divide begins to happen, whether you actually want to live in the truth or live in a pseudo-truth that a group of you believe secretly. You hear what I'm saying? So, Jesus said, whatever spoken in secret will be shouted from the housetops. What are you cultivating right now in your journey? How can you grow in what's being cultivated. Father, I pray today for grace. I pray that this could be a house that will uh, cause, give freedom, give opportunity for us to grow and develop. Lord, that we don't have to be something we're not, that we can start right here, right from where we are, and that we are accepted. That, Father, we even have the freedom to articulate foolish things 
So long as when we realize they're foolish, we back off from them. Father, I pray, God, that in this atmosphere, you'll raise up champions, men and women of faith, who are not only being conformed inwardly to the image of Christ, but whose influence in the kingdom of God begins to be realized outside because what we're experiencing, what we're walking in is real. Father, I bless your children, your sons and your daughters who are here. And I want to say, Lord, the truth will set us free. So God, show us in our hearts all the places where the insecurities lie, where the fears lie, where the deceptions lie, and free us, free us, free us, free us, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, If you have any questions about this, I'll be going to Guatemala on Tuesday, (laughs) but Paul and Chris, Ken will be here all week, (laughs) and Jen, hallelujah. I look around the room. See, see these people next to you? This is your family. Now, you can be real with these people. You can, you can, you can love them. When I look around the room, I, just, I see beautiful faces. I see a lot of journey, a lot of history, a lot of growth, a lot of challenges. Not you? Did you say not me? Yeah, challenges. Anyway, uh, you guys are great. And I hope you never think, no matter what I say up here, that I don't think you're great. Because I think you're great. Not because you're perfect, but because you have embraced a journey that takes courage, that takes humility, that takes endurance. So I bless you in your journey as you increase in the love of God and that your freedom continues to grow. Amen, and congratulations to the new engaged couple. So excited for you guys. Amen. So, um, we're going to close there.